In Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 through 2, it speaks of a type of rapture when John is actually caught away into heaven. So let me read that for you. After these things, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like the sound of a trumpet speaking to me. Does that sound familiar? A trumpet sounds, a door opens. And then he says what I think, John, what I think um, Paul is describing in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, when he says, come up here and I'll show you things that must take place after this. Or let me just weigh in on something. If I show you things that will take place after this, doesn't that kind of discount the preterist view right there? After this, the preterist view is about it already being fulfilled. Even, even Revelation chapter 1 verse 1 says, let me show you these things. John says, I want to show you the things that's going to take place after this. He didn't say things before this. He says after this. This is the second time we've seen this after this phrase in the book of Revelation. So I don't understand how anyone can believe that it's already been fulfilled. And both times it's pointing toward the future. Okay, so in this particular scene, you've got the voice saying, come up here. You've got a trumpet sounding and you've got a door opening. And then immediately... I was in the spirit. John is changed. That's a rapture scene. John is, is now in a spirit form in heaven. Now he does come back to the earth to give us the rest of the story. But I believe in the book of Revelation that is how God is showing us on the Revelation timeline the rapture of the church. And you don't hear any more about the church until we come back with Christ in the book of Revelation. Here's another reason I believe in the rapture. Um, it's called, there's a phrase in the Bible, it's only there one time, called the time of Jacob's trouble. Okay, so let me read it for you and then I'll explain it. Jeremiah chapter 30 verse 7, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Okay, so he's talking about a time of Jacob's trouble and he, meaning Israel, because this is the father of Israel, Israel is going to be saved out of this trouble. Okay, do you remember the story of, ja do you remember the story of Jacob in the Bible and how he has to go get a wife? Remember the story? How he, how he um, um, works seven years. And what happens? Anybody remember the story? He works seven years and what happens? Does he get the wife he wanted? No. He gets Leah instead, the cross-eyed girl. Sweet little Leah. And he gets Leah instead. He wakes up from the tent the next morning and realizes it's not, it's not his, love, his love that he worked for. Um, and, and, so, and so he has to work another seven years to get Rachel. So you have Leah and Rachel. So he has two periods, the time to Jacob trouble is two periods of seven years. Okay, the times of Jacob trouble is saying there's going to be two seven year periods that the Jewish people will go through that looks like they're going to be annihilated, but God's going to deliver them out of it. Okay, that first seven years happened 
between 1939 and 1945. Some of you will recognize those years immediately as the years of World War II. What happened in World War II? That's also what we call the Holocaust. That is when Hitler, Adolf Hitler, a type of Antichrist, but not the Antichrist. I can certainly see how they thought he was. How a type of Antichrist tried to destroy the Jewish people. And he killed two-thirds of the Jewish people in Europe during this time, which is absolutely unbelievable when you think about it. But it was a seven-year period of killing Jewish people, innocent Jewish people, and the Lord said, but he delivered them out of it. Well, that's the Leah years. But what is still waiting is the Rachel years. The Rachel years will be another seven-year period that the Jewish people will be attacked. There will be, as sad as this is to think about, another Holocaust for the Jews. But this time it won't be Adolf Hitler. It will be the Antichrist going after the Jewish people again. They will flee to the mountains. And it will be at the second half of the time of Jacob's trouble. But as Jeremiah prophesied, the Lord will save a remnant, save them out of it. So in order for these passages to fit into Bible prophecy, Israel has to be saved out of it. So two-thirds of the Jews living in Europe died in this atrocity that we call the Holocaust. But the term saved out of it applies, but they were not saved from it. Now, the church is saved from it. The Jews were saved out of it. So this time of wrath of God is about bringing the Jewish people back to the Lord, not about perfecting the church in the wrath of God. So this reason, uh, the reason this appears in this particular place as evidence for the rapture is because it points to the seven years of tribulation on the earth that are about Israel, not point, pointing hopefully to the seven years of, of tribulation on the earth, which are about Israel and not about the church. In this seven-year period, Messiah will reclaim Israel as his bride, not bring the church under judgment and wrath, as some claim. Now, one thing in Scripture, one, one theme in Scripture is that the righteous can escape the wrath of God when it is being poured out on the earth. And I, I believe that we see that over and over and over. I can show you the righteous escaping the wrath of God through Lot and his family. I can show you the righteous escaping the wrath of God through Noah and his family. I can show you the righteous escaping the wrath of God over and over in the Bible, which I believe points to the theme that the righteous will escape the wrath of God. Luke 21 says this, and of course this is the mirrored version of um, Matthew 24. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of life. And that day, that's the, the day of the Lord, the day of God's wrath, that day come on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on those who dwell on the face of the earth. Watch therefore... And pray always that you may be counted worthy 
to escape all these things that will come to pass and what? Stand before the Son of Man. It's very clear there that God is wanting us to escape the wrath of God and to stand before the Son of Man. What is that referring to? The Bema judgment seat of Christ. That we will stand before Christ at the judgment seat. So likewise, the Jewish remnant will also escape the, the wrath of God according to um, Revelation 14. Remember he says that Jacob's going to be saved out of it. So even a Jewish rapture will take place. Now, this is how I see this playing out. And I'm about to read you the, the, the verse about that. But when you see the 144,000 people taken, when the church is raptured from the earth, it, um, it, it throws the whole world into chaos. When the 144,000 are raptured from the Jewish community, it throws their community into chaos because these 144,000 have had their head sealed with the knowledge of Christ. They've been marked, which means these are people who became believers and probably all throughout the Jewish community, they know that they are believers, possibly teachers, possibly, I've even heard some people say possibly the tour guides that have been given all these tours in Israel throughout all these years. Every time people like me and Perry and whoever takes, whoever takes trips there, I'm supposed to lead one in, in, uh, in September, the Lord willing, if the creek don't rise and COVID don't get over with. But I'm supposed to lead one there in September. But those of us who take trips and lead groups there, um, they are, you know, we're, we're sharing the gospel with every tour guide there. Because many of them are Jewish. Our bus driver every year is a Muslim. I mean, they, almost all the bus drivers, they're Muslims. And they hear the stories. They hear our songs. They hear our testimonies. They hear us praying. The gospel is being shared every day. And some people believe that that is part of how that 144,000 get, get sealed with the knowledge of Christ. But when these 144,000 are raptured, it causes all of the Jewish world to turn to Christ as the Messiah. Thank you so much for supporting our ministry. If this has blessed you, please say a prayer for us. And if you would like to give, we have four ways that you can do that. You can give online at briancutshaw.com or if you're a PayPal user, just PayPal us at Church Trainer. Or you can also give through the mail at P.O. Box 267 Georgetown, Tennessee, 37336. Or if you're a Venmo user, you can Venmo us also at Church Trainer. Thank you and God bless you. And may the Lord multiply your seed. Now back to hope in the word. Revelation 14. Then I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters and the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps and they sang as it were a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. This has to be in heaven. It's not on the earth, right? And no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. They have been raptured. These are the ones who, 
who are not filled, who are not, not defiled with women for their virgins. Again, that doesn't mean a lit, literally they were all virgins, but it's talking about um, the parable of the virgins. And I'll explain that one to you later, the parable of the ten virgins. These are the ones who followed the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. All right. Why are they the first fruits? Why, aren't, why is it the church the first fruits? Well, the Bible says in the resurrection that happens in the rapture, we're the first fruits of the resurrection. We are the first fruits. Remember, Israel celebrates two harvests and a barley harvest and a wheat harvest. The wheat represents the church, the barley represents the Jewish people. So there has to be two harvests. So we're seeing a first fruits of the wheat harvest in the church, now the first fruits of the barley harvest in the Jewish people. They're the first Jewish fruits of, um, of, of, the, of the tribulation. All right, let's go into um, the last point that I want to make on um, the three Old Testament, or, or, or why I believe in the rapture. There are three Old Testament pictures of the rapture that I think gives a beautiful uh, portrait of the raptured saints. There's three men in the Bible that all had a unique type of ending, Enoch, Moses, and Elijah. Now you've probably heard the controversial debates of who's the two witnesses, Elijah, is it Elijah and Enoch? They usually say that because um, the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. Well, don't make a literal argument out of that because the raptured saints don't die either. Okay, so don't make, a, don't make too big of an argument out of that because those who go in the rapture didn't die to go in the rapture. And so um, don't, don't get hung up on that. So we really don't know. We believe that one is Elijah because the power of Elijah is seen. The the things they do, calling fire out of heaven, the things that Elijah did. So many people believe, some believe it's Moses and Elijah, some believe that it's Enoch and Elijah, some believe that it's, um, you know, it could be anybody that God, that, that God has ordained for that moment. We just know they're two witnesses. They're, they don't give us their names. So, but there's three men that had very unique deaths, and we believe that these three unique deaths also clarify rapture scenes. First of all, there's Enoch. Now, Enoch is a picture of the rapture. He represents the saints who suddenly disappear. Enoch walked with God and he was no more. Enoch was the seventh man from Adam. And the Bible tells us that in the book of Jude, verse 14. Enoch was a prophet who saw the return of Christ. And we'll talk a little bit more about him. He was a prophet that saw the return of Christ. Uh, Enoch walked with God for 365 years. Does that sound familiar, 365? You know, we, we always talk about the Jewish calendar and the Gregorian calendar. Well, you got to keep in mind, in God's views, He doesn't call it probably either one of those. He calls it the solar calendar and the lunar calendar. So the Jewish people go by the lunar calendar, but the Gentiles, most of them, go by the Gregorian or the, the solar calendar. God created both calendars. One is the lunar calendar, which is the cycles of the moon, which gives you what we call months. One rotation is what we call a day, day and night. But by the, cycle, by the time the solar calendar, the, the lunar calendar revolves, we call that a month. Well, what do we call the 365 
revolutions. We call that a year. All right, so people get hung up on the Jewish year is different from the, from the Gregorian year. It's only because they are, they are um, starting in, they're counting it from, this, from the lunar calendar, the beginning of the lunar calendar. So they, they basically go by that one. So yes, there is a difference in that. But on the solar calendar, it's 365 days. So he represents that. All right. God took him. He was translated, according to Hebrews 11 and 5, he was translated into heavens, the way the Bible refers to that. Genesis 5 and 24 says, Enoch was not for God took him. Now, you're going to see this word many, many times. It's a, it's a Hebrew word, lakok, and I can't hardly say that, that C-H very well, but it's like a K and an H together. And for those of you who've got a better gurgle than I have, you can probably speak Hebrew more precise, but... Um, but lakok is the best I can do with it. But what the word means is to take away. It means to marry or to wed. So it's like you were taken away for a wedding. You were taken away to go to a wedding is what the word literally means. You'll see this word reappearing over and over in rapture uh, passages. Now Moses' death is a picture of the dead in Christ. That will rise. So Moses represents the dead saints whose bodies were missing at the, at the resurrection. So Moses went to the top of Mount Pisgah, which is now called Mount Nebo. He saw the promised land, then he died, and God buried him, according to Deuteronomy 34 and 6, and no Israelite could find his body. So you have the missing saints, the resurrected saints, and Moses, because we do see Moses show up later in the New Testament. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration? Moses is there, all right? So we see a saint who is missing instantly, raptured church. Now the resurrection, the resurrected saint, Moses. And then you finally, you see Elijah. And Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind. Some people say a chariot of fire. Chariot of fire separated him and Elisha. So the chariot of fire was like the, like the beginning of it. But he was actually caught up in the sky by what they perceived to be a whirlwind. So basically, doesn't say anything about clouds, but he just started going up. So that's what they saw. So they perceived it and called it a whirlwind that he was caught up in like a, I've seen artists try to draw it as some type of tornado. And uh, I don't know if it was that fierce, but what I know is they didn't know what to describe. They saw a chariot of fire come and separate him and Elijah. That chariot of fire took back off into heaven. And then all of a sudden, Elijah the prophet starts going up. And all the sons of the prophets saw it. They were all out there. I've stood on Mount Nebo before. And, and from Mount Nebo, where Moses stood and saw the promised land, you also see the valley where Elijah was taken up. And that's quite an experience to stand there and think, wow, all the Bible history that took place right here on this mountainside. Now, Elijah represents something different from um, Enoch and Moses. Elijah represents the Jewish remnant that is raptured, the one we talked about, the 144,000 Jews. How do I know that? Look what happens right before Elijah is taken up. He crosses what? The Jordan River. The Jordan River is the dividing line, right? That's, the, that's crossing over into the promised land is the Jordan River. He's just parted the Jordan River with his, with his mantle. 
the mantle that falls down to the prophet to the to his or his successor um, Elisha. So he's just parted the water with this mantle, and so he's representing the Jewish people that's going to be uh, protected in the wilderness. The remnant, the 144,000 Jews that is called up into heaven, and that is what Elijah the prophet represents. Now, also, uh, Elijah, many believe, is one of the two witnesses. And there in Revelation chapter 11, verse 1 through 3, you can read that. And so many people believe that he will be one of those two. This program is brought to you by the partners of Brian Cutshaw and Church Trainer Ministries. Please help us pray that the Lord will continue to send us more partners so we can expand His kingdom around the world.